Welcome to the Scouter Career Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Mudge Riley. I'm a physician by training, but changed careers back in the early 2000s, and I found it difficult and scary. Once I figured out my path, I made it my mission to help others who were interested in creating an actionable career strategy, those who were looking for their next career, and those who wanted to transition to another career or another area within their industry. 15 years later, I've learned about a lot of cool and interesting careers. We talk about some of those here on this podcast. So come join me as we talk about another career today. Today, we have an amazing guest. His name is Mike Gillum, and he's going to tell us a little bit about nonprofits and specifically the Lighthouse. So I'll let him get into all those details. Hi, Mike. How are you? Tell us about yourself. Good morning, yourself. Michelle. I'm doing fine. Tell us about you. What, what, what do you do, and, and what was your background? How'd you get into it? Well, let's see if I can make a long story short. I, everyone in my family always worked for the telephone company for Southwestern Bell, which turned into SBC, which everyone knows today as AT&T. And I, my dad had 40 years, my brother had 33, met my wife on a blind date there. So I was planning on working there till I was about 57 and retiring with 35 years service. And when I got to be about 50, a good friend came to me and said, you know, Mike, I'm going to retire. And I've got these five national boards of directors that I'm on. And I was an Eagle Scout. So I want to, to keep that one from the National Boy Scouts. But I've got four others. And you've been such a good friend. I'd like you to take your choice of the remaining four. And I said, well, a good friend doesn't take a choice. A good friend takes the one that no one else is going to want. <laughs> He, I said, do you have one that no one's going to want? He said, yeah, I have this one in New York City. It's in Manhattan, and everyone wants a local board where they can make local communication, you know, connections in San Antonio. So I said, okay, I'll take it. He said, well, you don't even know what it is. I said, well, I'm sure you're going to tell me. He said, well, it's the American Foundation for the Blind. It was founded by Helen Keller in the 40s. I said, okay. So I jumped in. I didn't know anybody who was blind at that time and joined that board and was there on the board for 12 years. And when I got to the board, I met the CEO for the San Antonio Lighthouse for the Blind, and he recruited me for the board here in San Antonio. Two years into my term on his board, he got ill. The results were struggling, and he didn't have a succession plan, so he and the board chair decided one day that I was going to be their succession plan. And wow. they cornered me before a board meeting and said, we want you to retire from AT&T and come to work here. And, of course, it caught me off guard, and I said, no, that I'm gonna, I've already got everything planned out. And I said no for two years and finally was able to work out at least a reasonable solution to my pension that I'd worked all these years for and left AT&T and a for-profit company making billions and billions of dollars for a small 150-person nonprofit to San Antonio Lighthouse for the Blind. And that was 13 years ago. Wow, that is a sharp contrast. How interesting. I'm sure from day one, you saw the differences. Um, Gosh, tell, tell me, what are a few of the differences between the for-profit and profit world? Well, 
when I retired, there's a couple of differences right off the bat. When I retired at South, at AT&T, I was a senior vice president of operations. And at, a, at an executive level with a big corporation like that, you have everybody serving you. So you have attorneys and financial planners and people to take care of your vehicles and tailors will come up to your office and fit you for clothes and shoes and ties. So you can imagine leaving that and going to a nonprofit where you're the, the head servant. You're not being served anymore. Uh, so I think a lot of people thought I would fail miserably because I was used to being served. Uh, but I always had a, I always felt like I had a servant's heart. So coming over here, you know, you don't have nearly the resources. You're coming from a corporation with two, three hundred thousand people. We had 150. And in a big corporation, you're in a silo or a discipline. And so you have a specific area you're responsible for. Coming in as CEO of a nonprofit, you're responsible for everything. And since we were in financial trouble, which I found out after I got here, then, you know, you're out there painting the walls, caulking cracks, planting plants, mopping the floors. I mean, it sounds like I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. You have to do anything and everything to ensure the success and protect every penny of expense you can. That is amazing. Yes. And so... How did you feel about the difference? Were you surprised at just the sharp contrast in your life and your lifestyle in the nonprofit? And, and how did you react to that? Was it, was it a pleasant surprise or was it difficult? Well, it started out to be pleasant uh, because again, I'd been on the board for three years. I knew the staff and knew the mission and believed in it. And I had moved 22 times by the time I was 46 with AT&T. And so I was born in San Antonio. It was a chance to stay here. I had never served in the military and the Lighthouse for the Blind here in San Antonio is the largest manufacturer of military apparel in the state of Texas. One of the largest in the country, making hundreds of thousands of uniforms and chin straps for helmets for the Marines, the Army, all the branches of the service. So it was a chance to use my business experience to give back, to not move anymore, stay in a town I really enjoyed, and to serve. So all that was, to me, perfect. Sure. What was imperfect was three months into it, I found out that we were bankrupt and everyone had hidden the information from the board and much of the staff. Wow. And... What did you do when you found out that was the case? I prayed a lot. <laughs> I did. Uh, now I don't go to church that often, but I, I did pray a lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's really, you know, we had about 75 people who were blind who worked here every day, and it meant everything to them. I mean, it was their family. It was where they could be normal. It was where they could serve the military. It just meant everything to them. So when I got in front of the group, and told them the situation, uh, I had several come up afterward and said, Mike, we'll work for free until the White House can get out of financial trouble. Or we'll pay for our own meals, Christmas dinners, whatever we have to do to make sure the White House survives, and you can pay us after we get out of debt. So it's one of those things you, you couldn't, you may feel like bailing out and running the other way, but you couldn't. And 
So you had to focus on number one, making sure you had the right team on the field, which we didn't. So I had to let go about eight of our top staff. And at the same time, you had to sit down with all the creditors, one of them being the Department of Defense that we owed $8 million to, and the government and the Department of Defense is not very lenient <clears throat> to give us an opportunity uh, to pay the debt off over time. So it was a, <clears throat> I've never worked so hard, but I've never seen so many people so appreciative and uh, with an angel on our shoulder, we survived and we're now one of the, the most successful and largest nonprofits in the city of San Antonio. That is amazing. How long did it take to turn it around? <clears throat> well, I told the group that they said, if we get out of debt, we'd like you to be the prize. I said, okay, what do you want me to do? And they said, we want to shave your hair off. <laughs> so I said, okay, as soon as we get out of debt, you can do that. So six years later, nearly to the day, we had our Fita Fiesta, which is kind of like <clears throat> our Mardi Gras that New Orleans has. We had Ray Feo, who is the king, the ugly king of the, the fiesta come and with the TV cameras and the press, cut, spray paint my hair and cut, start to cut the first piece off of it. And then all the blind people had bought tickets, all of our blind team members, and they cut the rest of it off on TV. Wow, was that scary, seeing, thinking blind people had scissors near your head? Yes, it was. I kept my <laughs> eyes closed the whole time. <laughs> and the employee of the year said, you know, Mike, if you're going to get your ear cut off, I'm going to do the same thing. And he had a long ponytail. And uh, needless to say, we nearly got, both of us nearly got divorced. But our wives just made us wear caps all the time we were at home until the four months it took to grow back out. Oh, that's great, though. What a celebration that must have been. It, I think we all, well, we did. We all surprised ourselves that we could, could pull it off. And we were very lucky, too. If, if we had been a for-profit, we would have never survived. But as a nonprofit, some of those people that we owed money to could write those off as donations against their revenues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, you know, that's a good transition into what the Lighthouse does. You alluded to it a little bit in just the amazing... Um, resilient nature of some of the employees and their their hopes that this would be something that could sustain. So talk a little bit about who the Lighthouse serves and, and employs and how that works. Yeah, it, we really are a really complex organization, which I didn't think, again, would survive as small as we were, but we're about 500 people now. And the Lighthouse provides every service for every age, for anyone who's struggling with their vision. So you don't have to be blind. In fact, we changed our name to the San Antonio Lighthouse for the Blind and Vision Impaired about a year and a half ago because we had people that said, well, I'm, I'm not blind, so I can't come. And we said, no, no, no. People, we want anyone at any stage of vision impairment. So we now have services training three and four-year-olds on iPads and technology. We have programs for juniors and seniors in high school, preparing them for life after school and helping them get jobs. We offer scholarships, $30,000 a year in scholarships to blind students to go to college and stay in college. We have employment. We have 200 people, again, that work here every day, get paid great wages. Nobody is below minimum wage. 
we have better retirement plans that I had at AT&T. We match 100% of the first 6% that they make. We have better medical plans than I had at AT&T. We pay over 90% of medical, and we're not a very healthy group because many folks have multiple disabilities, diabetes, some are on dialysis, those kind of things. And profit sharing, too. Now that we make a profit most of the time, and we share that with everybody all the way to the frontline employees. So it's every service for every age. We have a low vision clinic with optometrists that specialize in people whose vision can't be fixed to help them retain and protect the vision they do have. And we have an elderly program, one of the largest, if not the largest in the country, where if you're over 50, we will actually send one of our 14 individuals to your home and give you between $100 and $500 worth of assistive technology, everything from talking watches to talking phones to big button phones, put raised dots on your microwave, help you with lighting, magnification, and we serve about 5,000 people a year, separate individuals who are blind at all those ages. In addition, we've got office supplies or mission critical office supplies stores on all the military bases in Oklahoma, New Mexico, and Texas. And there we sell blind made products from all 100 lighthouses across the country and are not allowed to sell any product that's commercial that competes with a blind made product or is similar to it. We have legally blind. Legally blind means someone has some vision, but they can't get a driver's license. They can see at 20 feet what we can see at 200. And we have legally blind cashiers because we only accept credit cards. So we're on the military bases all over the place. Wow. Gosh, that is amazing. I didn't know even half of those things existed through the lighthouse. Um, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners didn't realize that either. Um, so this is really important information. How many lighthouses are located throughout the United States? Is it just here in San Antonio or are there multiple lighthouses? No, there are about 100 lighthouses in the country. About Originally, all the lighthouses were formed with one mission in mind, and that was employing people who are blind. So about 60 of those lighthouses have products they manufacture for the federal government, everything from duct tape to spray paint, to pens, pencils, highlighters, those kind of things. So about 60 of the 100, the remaining have some type of services for people who are blind, some type of rehabilitation services, maybe technology training, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow, okay. And so what sorts of opportunities exist for those who have a disability to work. You mentioned manufacturing some of these resources. Um, is that the main employment opportunity or are there management opportunities? Can you talk about some of that? It's a really, really good question. Yes, we have some of the most amazing, I say we nationally. One thing I need to say is we have a national staff. Each lighthouse is separately managed, separate board of directors, but we have a group of about 150 people in DC. Washington, D.C., called National Industries for the Blind, and their job is to get some of these larger contracts that would generate jobs for people who are blind and then disseminate those to optimize and maximize employment of people who are blind, blind across the country. So it project may depend on which lighthouses have that skill set or capability and have the workforce to do it. So we give them four cents of every dollar that's sold in manufacturing goes to them to staff that and all 100 lighthouses have input into what they focus on. 
but it prevents us from having to replicate a hundred times what they can do in DC in one place as a single point of contact. Mm -hmm. So it's in terms of upper mobility, we have a free executive MBA program, fully paid. Anyone who's blind, you don't even have to work for a lighthouse. It's at the Darden School in Virginia with some of the professors are from Harvard. We have a high potential rotational program like most big corporations, for-profit corporations. It's a two-year program where you serve three eight-month assignments. Each eight-month assignment is in a different lighthouse in the country. All this is fully paid and a different discipline. So you may be in the St. Louis Lighthouse in finance. You may come down to San Antonio Lighthouse and work in manufacturing. And then you may go up to the New York Lighthouse and work in marketing. And at the end of that two-year period, you're on the auction block for all the lighthouses to bid for your services. So we have four CEOs now who are blind, and we have people just in San Antonio. Our head of purchasing, it purchases about $20 million of goods a year, is blind. Our head of technology training is blind. Our assistant manager for our children's program is blind. So we have blind people in all kinds of positions, and a lot of it's about upper mobility, but we also realize that we don't have a retirement age. We have two people still working in their 80s who are blind, and they have no ambition at all to be in management. They just want to come every day and be around their family at, at work and enjoy being productive. Yeah. Wow, that blows me away. I. Are a lot of people aware of this? How do they become aware of your amazing resource that you have? Well, locally, we get out and tell the story every chance we get. And we give tours of about three to 4,000 people a year that come through the manufacturing plant. And they can actually sit down with a blind person and work in the manufacturing plant. We let them bring their kids, Girl Scouts, Cub Scouts, kindergartners, so it, it's really something they can touch and feel and remember, but we give presentations to about 27,000 people a year, and that's just the senior staff, because we're out in, we require all directors and above to be a member of a nonprofit board and also to be a member of a service organization, like the Chamber of Commerce, the Lions, Rotary Club, uh, and be a leader in that club or in that organization at the end of one year. So we're always out telling the story, but you know, a lot of people don't know anybody who's blind. And as a result, they don't come across us. Sure, sure. I, I can easily see that. A lot of times it's easier to focus on your current situation and just if, if you don't have any experience with it, or like you said, if you don't know anyone yeah. who's blind, then there's no reason to to go looking for you as a resource. I, I'm so glad you're able to tell this story here. Um, I think this is going to get some information out, important information out to people who will be very interested. So this is amazing. Um, well, so a couple more things that might be of interest to, to you and to the yeah. listeners. Yeah. Is, you know, if, if you've never worked, and I never have, I wish I'd have moved here sooner into this role. Uh, but if you've never worked around 200 people every day who have, quote, disabilities and see the attitudes they have, you can't help but be inspired and it puts your life in perspective because you realize that it's not the end of the world if you lose your vision or you become disabled for some reason uh, and i think as as able-bodied sighted people or non-disabled people whatever you want to call us uh, 
we do take a lot of things for granted that individuals that have been through losing their sight don't. And I think they make us better folks. And when you have a mission like ours is empowering people who are blind, it makes you want to work every day, all day long, because the harder you work and the longer you work, and the more effectively you work, the more people you can help. And you see tears of joy just about every other day, whether it's a little four-year-old girl seeing her mother's face for the first time, or an 83-year-old that gets to read the newspaper again after 10 years of without it. It's just amazing stuff. Yeah. Wow. And when you left AT&T, I'm sure you had no idea just the emotional impact that working for this nonprofit would be for you. But it sounds like it's been a great ride. It really has. It really has. It's one of those things where you, you know, people always talk about it. You know, if you enjoy it so much, it doesn't feel like work. It really doesn't. I've never been, never thought about being paid a salary to help people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. About being paid a salary to get the stock price up. Mm-hmm. But another little piece of information: the, the lighthouse now, after having gone through near bankruptcy, has been recognized as one of the top 59 profits in the nation three or four times. Uh, best place to work in San Antonio by both newspapers. Best place to work in Texas from Texas Monthly Magazine. Top place for people over 50 to work by AARP. Outstanding large business, most ethical large business. Every We won so many awards because of the inspiration of the folks who are blind. They finally came and said, Mike, can we quit applying for these? We're tired of filling out questionnaires. <laughs> wow. So we just said, okay, we've won everything we can win. We'll back away for a while and, and not worry about it. But we have a blind baseball team. We just bought a, an old school bus for them that they can travel around because their pitcher can see. Mm-hmm. And blind people can play baseball. They've been in the World Series the last two years and come in third both times. We also have a choir, a blind choir that we have bought uniforms for. They practice on their own time at 6 o'clock in the morning every day. We drive them around the city, uh, allowing them to sing and have a good time and get the word out about the lighthouse. We've had seven weddings in the last eight years now where blind individuals met each other here. And one was on site. We actually stopped, shut down production for three hours and let them have their wedding here on site. Wow. Gives you a little insight into it's not just a job for, for anyone here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So do you feel like that's the case at a lot of nonprofits? Or do you think, well, I, I definitely agree that the Lighthouse is something special, but... Do you think that this is more the case with nonprofits, that there's just more story, more um, uh, putting yourself into work every day, your entire being into it? Or what, what, what is your thoughts on that? I, I do think that. I do believe that, that all nonprofits have got incredibly passionate people working there. Uh, in many cases, you know, they're in directors or VP positions or even CEO positions that in the, in the for-profit world, they wouldn't be at that level. They'd probably be down two or three levels below that, maybe in middle management. So when you come from being an executive in a big corporation here into a, a nonprofit, which is going to be smaller, those people are going to need a lot of development and a lot of your time to, to try to help them get up to speed. Mm-hmm. And you have to be very, very patient. 
and in focus, but they are passionate. They may not have had the business experience, but they care about people, and it'll wear off on you as well. So I do think most all nonprofits do incredible things. Uh, our advantage and uniqueness comes from being able to run businesses around the nonprofit or the nonprofit wrapped around the businesses where we can employ people who we serve to generate profit and make their lives better at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then absolutely. use that profit to help others. Mm -hmm. Yep, for sure. Well, so as we kind of wrap up here, what are some good resources for someone who may be interested in working for a nonprofit or in the lighthouse specifically? Well, in San Antonio, and I'll talk San Antonio first, we're unique in that we have a nonprofit council. The San Antonio Nonprofit Council is made up of 200 nonprofits. We do pay dues, and it's all about helping each other get better. And so we actually get a list of nonprofit jobs that are open, most of them, uh, every week for all the nonprofits because they can post those for free and get it out to 200 CEOs of nonprofits uh, every week. Distribution, so it's easy to see what's available in the city here. Not a, many other cities have that, and it, it does help all of us get better. What I'd recommend is is if you're thinking about nonprofit, uh, you know, you always hear about the pay is going to be less and the hours is going to be less. The hours aren't going to be less unless it's just you. Uh, and the pay is about 20% less. But if you if you have an area that you're passionate in or you think you're passionate about. Google that, just let's say it's children at risk. Google children at risk for nonprofits in your city. See what nonprofits are there, and I would start by volunteering. They're always looking for volunteers. You know, if it's animals, you can, the animal, every city has an animal shelter or something like that. But Google it, see if you can contact someone, volunteer, and try it out a little bit. Learn a little bit more about the organization. And if you have the chance, move from that volunteer role onto some of the board committees, whether it be events committee, fundraising committee, those, and you can get a lot of exposure before you have to make that decision. Because there are more nonprofits around every single day. I don't know how many new ones there are every day, but it's hundreds. Yeah, and I don't think many people are aware of how many, and what a great resource you just mentioned, because I wasn't aware of that. Do, do most cities have a, um, an organization like the one you mentioned where you pay dues and um, jobs are circulated and uh, so you're aware of what's available? I wish they did. I think there are only about three or four in the country. And I'm not really sure what cities they're in, um, but it, it's, such, I don't, it's amazing to me we don't have more of them because again, as, as a CEO, I can have a question about something you know, who knows a videographer that will do a video for you for free? And I can send that out to 200 CEOs and get five or 10 answers back within the next couple of hours. Mm -hmm. And they can ask any question of anything. So we don't have to reinvent the wheel hardly at all unless you just don't send out that email to ask the question. Right, right. Well, Mike, this has been very enlightening and I have had a great time and I've learned a lot just from this conversation and I know our listeners have too. Is there anything that you would like to add before we kind of wrap up here? I would say if you decide to go into the nonprofit side of the business, 
remember that you're always going to be a salesperson. You're always going to be out there in front of people and you, you should be an incredible ambassador, amazing ambassador by telling, having the story down and being able to tell it and willing to tell it to just about anyone. Uh, in our case, all of our directors and above, there are 10 of us, you know, we wear a lighthouse pin every day and a lighthouse shirt every day with a logo on the front and the back. Because again, part of it is part of success and a big piece of success in every nonprofit is visibility and getting the word out and building that credibility. So people will fund you and, and donate and volunteer and refer people to you. Yeah, I think that's great. Thank you so much for your time today, Mike. How will people find you if they're interested in learning more? Is there a specific website they can go to? Sure, they can go to www.salighthouse, like San Antonio, salighthouse.org. And on the website, it is blind accessible, so you can change the colors of the font, the size of the font, the letters. Uh, so it should be expected just won an international award for being accessible. Nice. Wow. All right. Well, thanks for your time today. I'm sure our listeners uh, may go and check it out, and I hope they do. So we're going to wrap up this session of the podcast. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. I hope you learned a lot. Um, be safe, have a great day, and we'll see you next week.